Welcome to The Well Drop, Own Your Wellness. I'm your host, Amber Berger. And I'm Dina Wismer. We are mothers, friends, wellness experts, and self-described warriors who have each experienced our own unique personal wellness journeys. We are your wellness friends here to give you drops of wisdom we've discovered over the years that actually work. Wellness, what is it really? The struggle is real and we're here to help sift through the noise. With me today is Dina Barcella, my dear friend (laughs) and cousin by marriage. Dina and I have known each other since freshman year of high school. We went through high school together and then in my early 20s, introduced her to my cousin, Gideon. And now Dina and Gideon live in Southern California with their beautiful son, Zeke. And I'm so happy and privileged to call her family. Dina has for years now, well over a decade and a half, been doing health life coaching. And I was fortunate many years ago in my early 30s to be one of her first clients. Uh, I remember she had just finished training and she reached out and said, would you like to be a client? And I was pregnant with my second child and busy. And I thought, oh, do I have time for this? And I'm so happy that I made the time for it because it was one of the most transformative things I've ever done. Dina totally changed my way of thinking about what I put inside my body, thinking about what I give to my children to put inside their bodies. And now as we've grown together over the years, also thinking about how to celebrate nutrition and celebrate our bodies and really enjoy the process, um, that it's not stressful. It's really a beautiful thing. And she's really empowered me in so many ways. And I'm so happy and grateful that she's here with us today. Welcome to The Well Drop. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And congrats on the new podcast. Thank you. Thank you. This is so much fun. And it's it's so much fun to have people like you who, you know, who really are truly inspirational. I know that It's been quite a journey to get to where you are now. Can you start off by talking about what set you on this journey? How did you, where, where did this all begin? For sure. So I grew up like Dina, we grew up in the eighties and nineties in totally conventional food homes. There was nothing. We didn't even know the word wellness in the eighties and nineties, but there was nothing that happened in my home. That was at all about like health or nutrition. That was just never a topic that came up. It was never a guiding principle in anything that my mom was buying. I grew up with a single mom. A lot of it was just like getting the next meal on the table. A lot of me fending for myself. I started making my lunch from a really early age. I just started figuring things out kind of in the kitchen for the sake of just eating. Like there wasn't really any, there wasn't really any other reason. And then as I got older, I developed disordered eating in my teenage years, as so many people did at that time. And that's something that we Both shared. of us. Yes. I yeah. don't think, were we aware? We didn't discuss I it mean, in I mean, I think school. most of us didn't talk about it. Yeah. It wasn't something that we talked about. We just like got pretzels and Diet Coke from the vending machine. And that was lunch. Like that's what we called lunch. And I, you know, again, with a, with a, busy single mom who was also a teacher in our like local public schools. She was out of the house early. I took the bus. I rarely ate breakfast. So I would like maybe grab something, maybe not even eat. And that was, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, most of the women that I was surrounded by, whether it was my mom, my grandmother, my friend's moms, our teachers, I remember talking about this a lot, that it was 
women were either on a diet or off a diet. They were like very distinctly in one of those two categories and getting back on a diet or talking about how they had kind of like fallen off the wagon with their diet plan or whatever it was. And so, you know, for me, I didn't have anybody telling me when I was younger that or really any time in my life that I needed to lose weight, which is something that my clients experience a lot. And people, you know, kind of pressuring them and putting that on them. I didn't experience that, but I always heard all these women around me talking about it. And, you know, you just kind of take in the culture around you. And so it was, it became very clear to me, like almost like fact that food is something that you have to manage. Food is something stressful. Food is something that you know, women have an antagonistic relationship with. There's this push and pull. There's nothing really, you know, we would have holiday celebrations and gatherings where there would be an abundance of food would be made. But the sense of like presence and joy with the food was never really there. Not to mention, I think the 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 role models we had in the public eye as well, I think in the 80s and 90s, there was specifically a certain type of woman's body that was celebrated. To me, I remember very clearly at the age of 12, realizing, oh, you know, looking at commercials and thinking, well, my body doesn't look that way. You know, there's something wrong with me, Um, which I think is also very specific to our generation as well. Yeah. And it was also like it wasn't the internet age, but it was the age of magazines and all the articles, all the different snippets on the cover of a magazine, like Seventeen magazine and all these magazines that would guide us in that direction, making us really understand that women need to be thin. Women need to manage food. Food is something you should be thinking about, having stress about ultimately on a regular basis. And so that started early. And, you know, I always like to be clear that when you're talking about disordered eating, eating disorders, a tumultuous relationship with food, people talk about this in so many different ways, but there's many, many reasons for it. It's not just the cultural influence, right? Like there are many women that grow up in this culture that that's not the thing that they, that feels like a really big struggle. That's not the thing that they have a really tumultuous relationship with. It could be, it can manifest in other ways. But I was also a really highly sensitive kid. I felt things really strongly. And I I know that now. I didn't know that growing up. No one helped me see that or, you know, made room for my emotions and all of that. So food was a way that I could control, you know, things related to like my mouth and my throat and my voice and how full I felt, full whether it was full of emotions or filled with food. And so that went on. And I also had a lot of chronic health issues. I had digestive issues my whole childhood. And again, not growing up in like a wellness home in any way, nobody was questioning like, why are you constipated all the time? Or why are you getting tonsillitis and needing to take antibiotics all the time, right? Like there wasn't any sense of like, let's dig deeper. What's the root cause that no one was asking those questions. So I was sick a lot, like kind of, you know, never really feeling well. Then there were hormonal imbalances that came into my 20s, thyroid issues, polycystic ovarian syndrome, chronic fatigue, all of this stuff was happening in my 20s. And truthfully, you know, I can speak openly about the disordered eating now, but I didn't, I wasn't really connected to it at all in my teens and in my 20s. It was something that I did. It was something that I hid very much. It was very shameful and very like, nobody understands this. There's nobody I could talk to about it. So, you know, for me, it was restricting and binging and purging. That was, you know, what, what it, how it manifested for me. 
but I didn't really talk about it. It was really hard for my mom to understand it, which I think is the case for a lot of people and not having language. There's no, you know, there's so many podcasts now, so many ways that people can tune in with it. And that didn't exist back then. How did you make the segue into what you're doing now? How, it, what, when was that leap and why? Yeah. So that was like sprinkles throughout time, like through my twenties of just tuning in with what something my acupuncturist would say or something someone else would say that started to help me understand that we live in this whole body. And so I didn't need to only see like a gastroenterologist for the fact that I had stomach issues. And I started to understand, okay, emotionally, spiritually, physically, everything in my body is connected. And nobody around me was talking about that. And so I was drawn to that on my own. I started getting like holistic nutrition books in my 180 square foot studio in Chelsea when I was living in New York. And that's, you know, that's what I had in my apartment through my twenties. I was living in New York city, working in corporate. And then I got laid off from a job and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I went back to school to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And I did it primarily for me. I did it primarily like, I think I'm going to learn a lot of stuff that's going to be really supportive for my relationship with food, for my digestive system, for all of these things going on in my body. It was, you know, sparks and light bulbs going off all the time, putting all of these pieces together. And then I, that's, you know, that's the time that I started my health coaching business. And that's when we started. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there was so much I was as I said, a young mother and, and my first child, I had given first foods that was recommended by our pediatrician. And that was what I was recommended to do. So that's what I did and didn't think much about it. And as soon as we started working together, like a light bulb went off. No, babies, they don't need empty carbs. They need protein. They need iron. They need nutrient-dense foods for their massively quickly developing bodies. Um, and you know, for studying with you and learning with you, it really everything made sense right away. Um, can you, each family is a little bit different. So I know there's no one size fits all in terms of what you recommend for families. But if you're a family that's never thought about this, what's a first step? How do you dip a toe into thinking about making choices at home to better your family's health? What is the first step there? I mean, I think the first step is not about like, what should we be buying at the store? And I will say, like, I like to be really transparent about this. When Dina and I worked together, you know, when we worked together, I was very focused on here's what you should buy. Here's what you should take out of your kitchen. I went into people's apartments and I did kitchen cleanouts. We did store tours. Probably 80% of what I talked about was what I call the what of food, just like what you're buying and what you're eating and what you're feeding your kids. You know, I've seen now over... 13, 14 years of doing this work, that it tends for a lot of people to keep them spinning. We didn't have social media, barely. There was like Facebook when you and I worked together. Isn't it amazing now, how much has changed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's crazy, right? But yeah. now there's a podcast. You can look up a podcast. You can go on Instagram. You can look up all of these things and see a million different opinions and often what seems like contradictory opinions about how you should be eating, what you should be eating, what you should be buying at the store. And it can get really dogmatic in all directions. So, you know, for me, I really like to just pull back that lens and ask, ask you, you know, ask the listener here, what do you want to feel when it comes to food? What feels really important to you? Like if you could think about what would feel 
What would help you feel confident? Where would you feel ease? Where could, where do you want to feel more joy? What is not feeling good? What, not a, not because you saw some Instagram post telling you you should be eating something and you're not doing it. That's not internal. If you're a parent, what do you want your children to know about their bodies, about nutrition, about health? What feels important, right? Like we all have an inner compass that we have become so detached from because of expert advice. And that expert advice can be the pediatrician. That expert advice can be your, you know, OBGYN or someone that like you step on a scale at some follow-up appointment and you weigh more and someone says something about that when maybe for you that wasn't actually such a thing and now it's becoming a thing. So there's all this outside input and we have to be more discerning about what actually matters to us. Helping people get closer to themselves and also things like, what about your ancestry? What about where you live? I would talk about food differently for someone that lives you know, in Scandinavia than someone that lives in Costa Rica, right? That would make sense because climate is totally different, right? Our bodies re- respond differently to where we are. All of these things are important. I can't tell anybody until I know so much more about them, this is the way to eat. Totally. You know, broad and strokes, it's like, how have humans eaten? Right? For, yes, for centuries and centuries Forever, and centuries. Right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So all of the different powders and all of the different things that we put in a blender, the different bars that we buy that are 100% marketed to like the busy mom who doesn't have time for food. That's where I want people to start questioning, right? Like, what does it mean to not have time for food? There's this idea that food is just this like ultimate interruption in life. So how do we, it's a huge, I mean, that's a huge thing, I think, in terms of being a busy mom, right? And wanting to, I remember specifically, actually, when we started working together and researching about sprouting and fermenting things at home and growing things at home. I mean, even growing little herbs in my kitchen in the middle of New York City, there are so many different ways in which to work with food to make it more accessible in terms of our body, our body's absorption of it. We live busy lives. And when you have a family and you have work and you have all of that, it's a two-part question. How do you actually change the mindset around it? One. And two, how do you how do you begin the actual physical day-to-day doings of it? Right? I think that's yeah. a two there's two obstacles. Yeah. And I would say to start with the baseline of how. So not what you're eating, but how you're eating. So simple things that are free, right? Like these wellness and food and this whole thing doesn't have to cost nearly as much money as people emphasize. Because again, you have to think about like, who's marketing the thing to me? Who's making money by me thinking this way or needing, feeling like I have to eat in a certain way? We all have to slow down when it comes to, I mean, everything, you know, I always say like food to me, food. And one of the reasons I love working with it is food is a gateway. Food is this amazing portal to learn so much about yourself because, and about your body and to learn how to listen to your body, to help your children listen to their bodies because you interact with it every single day, multiple times a day. And you will for the rest of your life. So it's like, this relationship is really important. And I actually just did a post on Instagram recently about this. Imagine you're, you know, if you're partnered, 
or you can think of a friend if you're not partnered. Imagine if like every interaction you had with your partner was, you know, you never looked them in the eye. You were always like looking at your phone or multitasking. You tried to find every possible shortcut to communication. You couldn't even remember like, what is it about this person that I love? Like you couldn't even touch on those things. The relationship was just so disconnected. And so like check the box, move through the day, right? And then imagine if that was your relationship with food, because that's what it is for so many people. It's just like, oh my God, another meal. Oh my gosh, I don't have time for this. I'm in a meeting. I'm doing this. I'm running, right? Then what does the body know about how to even integrate the food, how to even take in this like good nutrition that you're maybe you're spending a lot of money on or you've put so much time into. So taking deep breaths before you eat, like just simply like you sit down, your food's in front of you. Hopefully you've plated something that is like visually appealing because we eat with all of our senses. This is just, this is totally human nature, right? And then you can just take like three deep breaths, breathing into your belly. And at this point, most people notice that they feel a lot of tension in their bodies. If you don't, if you don't pause to allow the body to communicate what's going on, then you'll always be eating in a stressed out state. It's funny that we're talking about it this way because my husband and I have a lot of conversation about religion and he doesn't really see the value in religion generally. And, and, you know, you and I grew up with some religion in our lives and Mm -hmm. most religions say, take a minute before, traditionally, if you sit down to a meal, you take a minute and you take a breath and you are grateful for the food that is before you. And so what you're saying to me brings me back to those conversations I have with my husband, because I understand his argument is always religion's been twisted and people manipulate, of course. I mean, talk about dogmatic, right? Talk about like me versus you and what's right and wrong. Yes. But- but there are things that can be taken that have been there for generations yes. for a reason. And that that to me is very clearly one of those, right? I mean, every religion has some way of being grateful and taking a minute before you eat a meal. And that's exactly what you're talking about is taking a minute yeah. to be present. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's like something to saying a blessing. Like you have to pause before you're putting the food in your mouth if you're saying a blessing, right? Yeah. yeah. One of the simplest things that I recommend to all my clients, if this was like the one thing I had every client do so much in their relationship with with food would change, and it's lighting a candle. Have a candle on your family dinner table. Your kids are going to love it. They're going to think it's really special. As they get older, they can be the one to light it. Like we light a candle every night at dinner, not just on Shabbat or on a holiday or for a birthday. Like we light a candle every night and it changes the vibe. You know, when I ask clients, like, what do you, what feels special in, at um, you know, what makes a meal feel special? They always reference things that happen in a restaurant and what they like about eating in a restaurant, not in their home. And it's like, it's all about the environment. It's all about ambiance. It's about things feeling like maybe there's music playing. There's a candle. There's dim, like, no phones at the table. That's the rule. No phones at the table. These are simple things. And none of these are about like, which regenerative beef you're buying and how much you have to spend on it or whether or not like the religion thing is a great piece. Like it's, it's not about are you plant-based or do you eat more of a paleo diet? Are you following keto? How much should you be intermittent fasting? Like these are the dizzying things that everybody that I work with 
has a really hard time navigating because it's it seems like they're at odds. But just like you said with the religion piece, you can take a part of it. Like if, if saying a blessing before a meal or at a, spef- a specific time helps you connect to who you are or helps you pause in a moment, then take that part, right? If you see like a paleo recipe that you like, but you don't really like fully identify with that label, which can feel often restrictive, then just do what feels good. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated, but it takes some navigating. It's fine. One thing that I regret that I I have not done to the extent that I wish that I had is also engaging my children in the food making process. I have a very traditional household in that way and that I come home and I make dinner and I take a lot of joy in that. I love making dinner for my family. That brings me incredible joy to make something that is relatively healthy, that is homemade, that they enjoy. So I've taken on that responsibility because I love it. But I I think it is so valuable for every child at any age to have some part, as you were talking about, being connected with the food, with the process of making it. And in terms of thinking about time and oh my god how do I have time to do this you know the kids whatever I I think and I appreciate your input on this engaging them in that you know instead of letting them play video games which is what sometimes happens in my household while you're cooking dinner totally engaging them in that process is beneficial for everybody and also maybe makes it feel a little bit less intimidating in terms of how much time it takes yeah so there's a couple things here for one The relationship with food is such a personal relationship. You know, I think sometimes we forget that food is like we're taking something from the outside and we're literally putting it into our body. It's an intimate experience. You're take, you're putting something inside you. So we have to remember that the earlier our children or like anybody can start to create that personalized connection the better because then it becomes, I mean, it's not just like a vital life skill to be able to prepare food, right? It's like a, it's a really wonderful thing to be able to do. Half the people I work with come to me because of like the picky eater situation for their children, right? Children who only want to eat certain, like very selective list of foods or they never know what to make. And that's why family meal time or even thinking about dinner is extremely stressful, right? Like this is so much of, because I primarily work with mothers and I would say nine times out of 10, it's not a sensory situation. It's not this like outlier, oh no, but like my kid really is the picky eater. It is a situation of the children barely being involved in the food process. So the food, the meal time, the whole experience is not inviting. And like from a nervous system perspective, we go to what's familiar. That's how the nervous system works. We lean on things that are familiar, things that we can trust, things that feel safe. When parents talk about like safe foods for their kids, you know, menu of possibilities opens up so much when the children are involved. And it doesn't need to just be that you bake with your kids, right? Like that's the thing that people often do because we have this story that children are only gonna wanna be involved in the food if it's a dessert or if it's like a sweet treat that they're making or having. And it's not true, right? Like kids, most kids like to have some sense of challenge, of risk, you know, bringing them into the kitchen where there's sharp things and there's fire and there's heat and there's, all different things. There's so many safety precautions that we take. And I, I walk people through this in a program that I run called Kids in the Kitchen. But there, it's a lot of excitement. Totally. And it's not actually for most kids more exciting 
to make a batch of muffins or cookies than it is to like shake all the spices into something or stand by the stove very carefully and, you know, on a stool so that they're at a higher level to be able to do that. Now, the big caveat for mothers though, because it all sounds super lovely to like (laughs) bring your kids into the kitchen more. But obviously, if it's the end of the day, if it's five o'clock and dinner needs to be on the table and you've had a full day and they've had a full day, there are very few situations where that is going to be an optimal situation where like not everybody is going to completely lose it. So choose choose your time. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. No, no, it is. I mean, there's a reason why it's like called witching hour and all of that, right? It's you, you're more tired. You don't have as much bandwidth. You don't have as much patience. So you want to bring your kids in and work with this at a time when like maybe it's Saturday morning and you don't need to be running out somewhere. Maybe it's just for like a small, it's just for a snack. Do not start with dinner time. Like everybody thinks that dinner time is like the end all be all. Don't start at 5 p.m. to like decide to bring your kids in. As I said, I've tended to do everything in the kitchen in my house because I love to do it. It's not, you know, that's been mm-hmm. my choice. But recently he asked me, he's like, oh, can you cut up an apple for me? And I was like, you know what? You can cut up an apple for you. <laughs> you're, you're 11. And he enjoyed it. And was it as perfect, you know, my practiced hands would have done it? No, but that's okay. And and yes. and he really enjoyed it. Little steps, I think. It, like you said, it doesn't have to be a big dinner totally. all at once. But little yeah. steps make a big difference. The other thing that I'd really love your input on is something that's happened in my house a lot. When the children do have input, For instance, I love to make things with teff flour. I don't know. uh, You know, it's a kind of flour that's gluten-free. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, And so I've made something. And the children, if they, you know, they'll taste it. And they're like, oh, but I want to put a little Nutella on top. You know, like a little sweetness. I've learned to also choose my battles. You know, if you can speak about that a little bit. And that, yes, I love to cook healthy things. But if the children want to have input and if that input is not the choice that I would have made. How do families address that? And how, you know, what's your advice for families in terms of compromising in that way? Totally. I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a few different things here. One is like if the Nutella's in the house, right? Like if you've chosen to buy Nutella and every, this is where like, there's so much nuance. Every family is different and I can't give a prescriptive thing, but in general, if something is in the house, you've just, you've made it be okay for it to be there, if that's where the boundary is, like if you're the one doing the food shopping, right? You've brought it in, then it's a matter of like what, at what time can kids have access to certain things, right? Some, some families don't have any boundaries on that. It's like, if it's here, they, because it also depends on the priority. If you want them to be coming into the kitchen more and having more agency and having more autonomy and not being like, mom, 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 every time they need to eat something, then, you know, it's navigating, well, what feels good to me here? What is the priority? Back to the questions I was asking earlier, like what feels really important to you? What is the culture of food that you want to have in your house? Just like any business needs to, any company comes up with like, here's our culture, here's our vision, here's our mission, here's how we're doing that, right? So you, we all have to do that in our homes. And on top of that, it's observing, like observing your children, observing yourself, and as much as you can, observing the people in your family without strong judgment around like what is right and what is wrong, but more about how do things work in an individual person's body. If this child is like on a totally empty stomach, 
and has been maybe quite active and maybe you're already sensing that they're a bit dysregulated and then they want something that has a lot of sugar. Something that we do in our home is we always eat protein, something that has protein before we have sweet things. So it's not like we can't have the sweet thing, right? Like we can go out for ice cream, we can have the the fig bars that are of it, like whatever it is, the things we have in our home. But if we're like on an empty stomach and we haven't had anything in a while, then we have, you know, we have a turkey stick. We have like whatever it might be, it can be anything. And I talk about that with my child in a not at all like shameful way, but he does know that his system gets much more dysregulated when he hasn't eaten in a while and when he hasn't had protein foods in a while. And that's what we know for him. One of your children may be different than another one of your children. And you get to decide, do you have blanket rules across the board or do you help them have that embodied sense of knowing what will make them feel better without making something be off limits? Totally. So it's a balance, but but information is the key, right? Explain. It's yes. not just a yes or a no answer. But having conversations, giving information yeah. empowers the children as well as the it adults. It really does. Yeah. And it helps them learn. We all have, we have this phrase of like, listen to your body. What does your body say? Right? Like these, these scripts that come out when it comes to talking to children about food of like, well, what does your belly say? Is your belly hungry? Right? Like, and lots of times, I mean, I work with a lot of adults in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they don't really know what hunger actually feels like. They know what hangry feels like. They know what starving feels like. They know what like completely feeling awful and lightheaded feels like, but they don't know what like early signs of hunger feels like. And that's a big, that's a big deal to be able to tune in with that and then eat at optimal times to help support the body. Yeah, no, that's a huge deal. One of the other things that's very important to me to touch on, and I think I think we have already in talking about setting an ambiance in any way, shape, or form for your meals, but a big motivation for me in terms of doing this podcast is making wellness information available to families on all budgets. And what frustrates me in this country yes. so much, it's crazy to me that it's easy for those with money and it's much harder for those not. On any budget, what are there things that you can recommend in addition to the basic of sitting down to a nice meal, which can happen in any household, right? I mean, yeah. you can you can create an ambiance in any way that you want. Are there any other suggestions that you have that people in any economic status can do at home to make wellness more accessible for all of us? People who do spend on all of the wellness things and are very tuned in to all of the wellness information out there and all of it. Like they can buy the quote unquote highest quality meat. They can buy 100% organic. They're buying all the superfoods. They're doing all of those things. I will say that these people also still don't have a positive relationship with food. So one does not mean the other. And I think that's really important because it can be that much more dizzying the more information we start we have without having that grounded center that I was talking about earlier but this is where it's like there's not huge differences if we're talking about like how do we make nutrition information accessible to people we want to gear them towards, it's the stuff that we've all heard, right? Shopping on the periphery of the stores, being able to, you know, there's so many subscription boxes now that are like misfits or these things that are the 
the, the foods that like are more bruised or whatever, but they're still really high quality produce. I live across the street from this amazing farm that does, it's, it's a nonprofit and they serve the community in all of these ways. And they do a lot of like pay what you can, right? It can take a little bit of research to find these things in the area, but it's a matter of helping people understand why that is important right that that they don't have to only do like a drive through or buying the packaged foods or the frozen meals like there's a lot of ways that it can be accessible and there's also some like really nice like body wise education that goes a long way like i'm a huge advocate for my clients actually knowing how their bodies work what you get in like health class in fifth grade and like biology in high school is often the extent of what people get and like we're not paying attention we don't even really care it's really important for us to know how our bodies work how the digestive system works with simple ways that we can support and actually listen to the body so we were saying before like the buzzword of listen to your body like what does that mean you can look at your skin. Is your brain foggy? How's your digestion? What does your poop look like? Like there's some basic things that we can look at to, uh, to discern how the body's doing and then tweaks that can be made. And it doesn't have to cost huge amounts, but there's amazing efforts out there to help people with that. And it's not that when people have a lot of money to spend, they're feeling so good about it because oftentimes it's the opposite. Yeah. I've also found something I think you taught me, I think a very long time ago when we started working together, also preparing and freezing, you know, think keeping things available yeah. in large quantities is great in terms of time management and cost as yes. well. I mean, there's some very concrete things you can do to prepare yourself for the week. I mean, batch cooking, like cooking soups and stews. These are, if we go back to like traditional wisdom of how people prepared food, it's a lot of like broth with lots of stuff thrown in there and that's the that's that's pretty cheap eating it and doesn't need to be a fancy steak you alluded to this before but food waste too that a lot of things that we traditionally in this country throw in the trash yes can be used in all kinds of cooking stews yeah. and soups but also baking uh banana pe i've baked with banana totally. peel which cool. there, there's a whole world out there foods that we throw away that yes. have used to them is that that's yeah. true right yeah yeah the food waste i mean for me like just one tip is anytime i'm chopping vegetables i save all my scraps i just have like a bag in the freezer when the bag is filled with scraps, I make a vegetable broth. And then sometimes I'll add a little bit of like seaweed or something to it to like up the nutrition. Um, seaweed's just filled with minerals. It's not expensive and it's, it's great to, to get some minerals. And a lot of us are more mineral depleted. So that's a great way to do that and to, to reduce the waste. Saving all the bones when you cook chicken or beef or whatever, put those in your freezer and then make some stock. Like there's incredible ways to reuse food and have it be accessible. One of my favorite yeah. things to do, especially in the winter, is you buy a whole chicken, you roast it. We eat the chicken for the week. You know, one night we have chicken, one night we use it for tacos. You know, you use the meat of the chicken throughout the week. And at the end of the yeah. week, you use the bones to make broth. You know, I don't love to hurt animals. I don't, you know, but at least I feel like if we did, then we really used every part of it, right? Yes. No, no, <laughs> And for we didn't sure. waste it. And I, uh, yeah. And it's also your connect, like, there's that connection. I mean, I think this is a really missing piece in the food conversation today because 
so often it's thought it's talked about as just like a means to an end. Like, how do I get my superfoods? How do I get my meal on the table? How do I just have like enough calories? You know, it's not, there's no connection. And back to like the analogy of like, if this was your spouse or your partner and you were thinking of that relationship in that way, what you just described with the chicken is you're looking at it. You see, you have the whole chicken, you're connecting with it. You're using all of the parts. You're, you're doing what humans have always done. And I think that's, that makes a really big difference. It, it's it's these little things that we can take for granted, but part of it too is is a little bit of the time that it takes and deciding like if that is important for the family. And yeah. I like the analogy of a corporation that, that has a mission and a culture and thinking of the family in the same way, because if you're intentional about it, it becomes a lot easier. It does. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. It does, And it, it no longer feels like, a thing to do. It's not, it's not another task or another chore, right? For so often food feels like such a chore for people. It's not a chore if it feels core to like how you're tending to your family. And then when it comes to like connection with your family, when it comes to gaining really awesome skills, you know, the skills that can be gained by your children in the kitchen can be, can serve them in every area of life, right? Understand, navigating safety, connection with the food, understanding how to talk about what feels good to them and not, right? Like these are really important lessons for our children and for ourselves to be able to, you know, you go to a doctor's office and something happens in a doctor's office that doesn't feel good to you. If you grew up having a culture in your home of being able to talk about food and food preferences and how something feels in your body, you're more likely to be able to talk about that in a positive way. In it's a the same life. reason I talk to my kids about sex. Yes. <laughs> no, no, but it's all, it's true, I mean, these are yeah. all connected. They're, yeah. It is. They're yeah. all connected. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Dina, thank you. Thank you. If people want to find you, how can they find you to reach out? Um, Instagram is the easiest. Um, and also just my website, dinabarcella.com. Um, but that's where you'll see Instagram and on my website is where you'll see like all the different programs, the coaching offerings. There's lots of fun stuff coming up in the fall. I run a program called Let's Talk About Sugar that is totally about like for the family and just really getting into like, why do we crave sugar? How do we, how do we have this conversation in a way that feels holistic? Um, not just scripts. And then Kids in the Kitchen is going to be happening again this fall too. So lots of fun things coming up. And I can personally attest to being so enriched by, you, you know, by working with you. And I'm just so grateful uh, for you coming on the show, but also for me sending me on this journey almost 15 years ago now. And, and it's it's been such a blessing. And I'm so happy to say that your family and not just, not just, you know, <laughs> a friend. It's so much fun. And um, really, thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for, for sharing your wisdom with everybody. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Subscribe to The Well Drop on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Share with a friend who can benefit from listening too. Follow us on social media at The Well Drop.